0: What's up, guys? I am so excited to bring you the first episode of Season 3 of the One Broke Actress podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to an honest account of actor life, plus a few lessons I learn in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, a.k.a. One Broke Actress, CEO of OneBrokeActress.com. Okay, I think that's all the credits I'm going to give myself today. (laughs) Guys, I missed you so much. If you guys listened in to the teaser from last week, you heard a little preview of what's to come in this season. I've spent the past three or four months recording it, and I cannot wait to share it with you. It is going to be so fun for me to listen back because that's by far the best reason to batch these episodes in advance, other than the fact that we all know actors' schedules are a little shady. Uh, it's hard, it's hard to pin people down. Um, so that's why it takes a little minute to batch these episodes, but there is some super cool stuff coming and I am just so excited to present it to you in any way possible. If you like anything out of this episode, please, please, please give it a little rate and review on iTunes. Make sure you are subscribed so you'll get all the new season episodes from now until Christmas, basically. That's really weird to think about. Uh, For the rest of this season and beyond, um, keep an eye out on onebrokeactors.com. Follow me on Instagram, at Sam Valentine. I think that's all I have for you today. So let's get to it. I'm so excited. Our first guest of season three, kicking it off with some badass female empowerment, ladies and gentlemen, Christina Ochoa. I met her a long time ago in Sarah Mornell's class. You guys have probably heard... Sarah Mornell on the podcast by now, but we took her intensive together. And I just remember her as this super eager girl who afterwards was like hosting game nights for all the actors she met and doing the nicest things. And this is before she had had booked anything past her first show and hadn't worked in a long time. And you're going to hear her tell that story and a lot more on the podcast today. And it's just really cool to know that she is that good of a person. She's not just like playing one on TV. Um, Today, she's also going to talk about not only how she survived two and a half years without a job, but how she discussed with her agents how she didn't really want to do any more mediocre TV, how her experience in ethnic casting has been, and it's a little different than I think what you would expect. Um, She also shares with us her version of balance, how she has really brought some things into her life via drawing. Uh, instead of, quote unquote, like manifesting morning pages, which was very interesting to hear about and something I've actually started since I recorded the podcast with her. We talked about body image. We talked about how she finds characters. She gives us some link to some awesome literature. I mean, the girl is a buttload of information to be had. She is awesome. Not only that, she also finds time to do charity work on the side and is like a major nerd involved in all of these projects. She is a queen among women, and I was so excited to get the chance to record with her. Um, Oh, little tidbit here. The audio is going to seem a little off. I did go to her house to record this episode, and she had a new puppy playing in the background. So if it sounds a little funky, it's not typical. It's just because we have a little extenuating circumstances. So thanks in advance for your understanding, and let's get to it. Without further ado, please enjoy Christina Ochoa. Oh, guys, I'm here with Christina Ochoa. Hi.
1: Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, gosh. Thank you. Thank you for making the time, and, and I've been wanting to come on your podcast for, what, a year now almost? Yeah. No, maybe not that much, but... It's been a minute, yeah. It's been a while, yeah. You've been in and out of town quite a bit. I have. Well, let's start
0: with how you got to LA, because I don't actually know where you're from. Um,
1: I'm from Spain. I'm from Barcelona, born and raised, and I came to LA... Gosh, maybe seven years ago, something like that. Um, I had no connections. I knew one person, uh, my publicist, and at the time was not my publicist. There was nothing to publicize, was just a friend. (laughs) Um, But that's the only person I knew, and I just kind of landed, started taking classes, hated the town for the first two years, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and kind of went from there. Did you act in Spain? I went to the conservatory, but Spain doesn't have a lot of production. Okay. It does good production. Maybe it has two good movies a year. Um, the rest (laughs) with all honesty, just looks like bad porn. It, you know, production wise. And just because of the resources and the funding and stuff like that. So I didn't really do much there. There's also not a lot of auditions. Okay. Um, And they don't encourage auditioning when you're studying. Like, they're purists Uh, to a certain extent. Okay. So if you're at the conservatory, you're studying. You're learning. You're doing these exercises and, like, remember what an orange smells like. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of organic work. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I spent about a a week in college pretending to be a squirrel. So There you go. And you don't audition. So then I moved here and I figured, well, I have, you know – My English, which is not perfect, but was you know competent enough that I could get away with pretending. I I didn't know that wasn't your first language. Yeah, whoa, it's not. I know it's so deceiving. That's
0: really (laughs) cool. So, do you feel like that's been an advantage in your career, by the way, to be bilingual?
1: Not until now. Uh, right now, the ethnic angle, even though I don't necessarily maybe look like Penelope Cruz or Osama <laughs> Hayek or anything like that, uh, that now has become an advantage because I'm an alternative. I'm an option um, that clicks off a box or checks off, checks off a box. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think has, has been an advantage in the last, what, three years, something like that. Yeah. Let's Shit, sure, let's jump right into that. So <laughs> So coming then from that, when you first
0: came here, and did you feel like it was more heavily Caucasian casted? And then you have kind of worked your the way into this. We've kind of taken a turn for this awesome, like ethnically ambiguous slash ethnic casting slash mm-hmm. like big push for all of these like diverse casts. Has that, have you kind of watched that journey happen in your career?
1: I've seen it in the, in the room, like with the, with the breakdowns and stuff and the audition. But to be honest, the, the roles that I've, gotten cast and none of them were initially ethnic. Okay. Oh, Um, interesting. And then they became ethnic. Once they cast me, they decided to maybe capitalize on the Spanish or the Mm -hmm. Latin angle. And so my, kind of like my first few roles that, you know, in the recent three year kind of stride that I've hit um have all been like Ren Randall Animal Kingdom she was supposed to be a blonde blue-eyed Cali girl um now she's Latina and she speaks Spanish every once in a while and you know uh same thing with Nora on Valor and Blood Drive with Grace and now Ashley on like every single one of those roles was written um to open ethnicities, but I think initially intended for a uh, Caucasian white white, because I am Caucasian mm-hmm. from Spain, still ticks that box. I'm not necessarily Latina, but um I think that now because they can check that box, like we said, with me, suddenly I think it just makes it easier for them to also go Caucasian on other roles for that sure. play opposite me. Okay. So all of a sudden now they're like, oh well we had this other role, this, um, you know, other series regular or other recurring or other whatever that was supposed to play in as a character that now we can make that Caucasian because she's already the Latina in the show
0: or whatever. Interesting. So it kind of frees up a different kind of, cause you don't think of like Caucasian casting as adding diversity. Yeah. So. And now I
1: think it, it does. Like they, um, I think for Valor, for example, um, some of the roles, that they initially had as maybe ethnically diverse, mm-hmm. um, then became Caucasian because we were already so ethnically diverse and, and, and you know, kind of like the, the series regulars. Mm-hmm. So it opened that up. Okay. I just think that's shifting a little bit.
0: Okay. Then. Mm-hmm. Give this, give this white girl do you love. feel like? You, you, no, I mean, do you feel like for you? It's funny you say that because I auditioned for a role on Valor that was supposed to be ethnically ambiguous. Oh, really? And I am. Like, do you remember what so role? So white. I could look it up. I will tell you it was an audition that I bombed. Oh God! Like I'll have to tell you. I'll tell you about it after the podcast because yeah. I wrote an article about it because it was like I went and I got I got so that's great transition, Sam. Pat myself on the back. I got so anxious before yeah. I got in the room because it was a reoccurring which is like my next step. You know, you feel like you hit the echelon, you get a couple of Mm co-stars, this like pretend ladder that doesn't really exist in Hollywood, then you're supposed to get guest stars and then whatever. And so I haven't had a ton of reoccurring auditions and uh, I felt very prepared and I got in the room and I just, I didn't handle myself well and I got kind of anxious about the potential instead of being in the audition and doing Mm -hmm. my work. Right. So you have... Since so Christina and I met in class, um, I feel like a million years ago, and I remember I remember you because you, you would sit on the tip of your chair and you raise your hand at one point and you're like, I just get nervous in network tests and I was like, <laughs> I've never even had a network test. This girl is so cool. And and then I feel like I've watched you excel, which has been super fun, to watch someone you've like seen in a in a learning environment just and I'm sure it doesn't feel like this. <laughs> like this upward motion, <laughs> as much as it looks, but when you started auditioning for these bigger roles, how you started to get into bigger rooms, like what's been your journey with
1: that? How has that felt for you? Um. Well, I mean, first off, we when we met, it was at Sarah Mornell's um, mm-hmm. intensive, mm-hmm. and her. I think it's the audition intensive. It's called yeah, right? yeah or weekend, weekend weekend intensive, mm-hmm. and that. Class kind of changed my life and entire perspective on everything work, booking, uh, acting, auditioning, everything. So, was that your was... first time working with her? That was my first time working with her. Okay, mine too. Yeah, she's been
0: on this podcast twice, so people will know what she's talking about.
1: Yeah, she, um, she kind of like saw the things that we were doing that were self destructive or detrimental to us and then was able to pinpoint them and really you know, kind of tap into that. Um, By the way, I apologize if you hear growling in the background. I have a new puppy and he's just hanging around. He's so damn cute Um, that I can't even be mad. But uh, that kind of changed things. Getting in the rooms... In the larger rooms happened relatively early for me, I think, because maybe of the Spanish-Hispanic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just because of luck. Maybe because my team... Um, I always felt like my team was way, you know, above and beyond my league, like just out of my league. <laughs> well, um, let's not take talent out of it. Like, you not don't, don't discredit well, yourself in that. For but sure. I wasn't booking. So I was in these big rooms and I was getting tests and I was getting callbacks and I was getting things like that. But then I was never actually booking those roles and I was losing them out sometimes to names, which I can completely understand. <laughs> and then sometimes I was losing them out to people that I didn't quite... And you never do understand why other people get the role or why you get the role. Even when you get it, you're like, I don't. I feel like an imposter. They're going to recast me and they're going to fire me. Every time I Every feel time. like I tricked everyone in the room. Exactly. And they're <laughs> going to see, once I'm on set, they're going to see they made a mistake. And, you know, I, I I still feel that way. You do? All the time. Oh, that's so nice to know. All the time. I mean, this is relatively new for me. Like, this, this work kind of, like, wave that I'm riding right now is really only two and a half years. And... I count my blessings, or I feel extremely fortunate, knock on wood, that it, hopefully it continues. But, um, you know, in, in these last two and a half years, it's just been another intensive for me when it comes to work and learning. And, of course, now there's leaf right? Great. great, great. We, um, we'll just talk a little, just lean close to the microphone. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I feel as though in two years, it's been Animal Kingdom, Let Drive, Valor, and now A Million Little Things. Um, And that has all been, to me, I still do not believe it. I still don't register it. I still don't get it. Um, (laughs) I struggle with understanding a lot of it, you know, and I credit a lot of it to Sarah and really to to the lessons and the conversations that her and I ended up having. She believed in me and she helped coach me and teach me and let me, you know, um, go to class when I was a mess and, you know, I was, uh, I was working off the class where I was trying to like, um, help her with self tapes in exchange for a, a session in coaching. And she, she did something for me at a time that was very critical that I think we all need. We all need somebody who says, I got you. And I know that you will book and you will get there. And I believe in you, even when you don't believe in yourself. That support system, if you have that, if you find it, if you can build it, if you can create it, that's the biggest thing, I think. That's amazing. You know, like, a, do, you, do you have, like, a big support system here or back home that you feel like you rely on in that way? I mean,
0: yeah, my, my family has always been super supportive, which is incredible, but they don't really get it. Right. You know, everyone's still, you go back to, like, the big family dinners, and they're like, you should try to be on TV. And I'm like, yeah, "Oh, yeah. thanks. I totally forgot to check into that." You're right.
1: <laughs> no, I'm good. I know I get I my family will suddenly say things like, "Oh, I just watched this movie." Um, you know, and and the girl, you should be that girl. You should be that girl. <laughs> love
0: when they say that.
1: And I'm like, not. what movie? And they're like, oh, it's this movie, Benicio de Toro. I was like, Sicario? Are you talking about Emily <laughs> like, Blunt? What? And they're like, yeah, you should be. Th-. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I mean, from your lips, but still, yeah, it's one of those, it, like, right. I, I, that's not how it works. They're like, you should just call, you know, in, in their eyes. Oh, they're I like, you it. should call Guillermo del Toro. And, like, you know, <laughs> like, just tell him you speak Spanish. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that.
0: Oh, my God. No, it's true. But I will say my parents and my, like, immediate family are kind of starting to get it. They're Mm -hmm. on board for, like, the marathon, not the sprint. And then my boyfriend's been, like, the best. He's been with me for, we've been together for almost five years now, and he's been, like, he's, like, you know, I got your back. He, like, understands it, even though he's not an actor. He's, like. Is he in the industry? He's a writer. Okay. So he kind of understands the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. So he totally gets it. So having someone who's, like, cool. Then I have two dogs. You know, you come home, and it's, like. It doesn't matter. They would prefer me not to book a job ever because I'll be home <laughs> <more>. <laughs> So, how did you support yourself through that? Through that hard piece? Because I feel like so many actors who listen to this podcast are in this place where we there there is a light that you can see. It's like I've we've yeah. all done like some indie work, some mm-hmm. this and that, and like I'm in the same boat. I I know that I'm talented. I know that you know getting the right people is on the journey, figuring out where I fit in, all that stuff. How did you? And, like, you can go in, if you feel like talking about, like, what jobs, side jobs you did and that kind of stuff, how did you deal with, like, that echelon? Uh,
1: Well, I started with trying to capitalize on anything that I could do that, like, for me, science communication, my background is in science, so a lot of my time and energy went into having side jobs that were about either writing or coming on and doing, you know, side work as in, in science communication, hosting a conference or something like that. Um, that pays probably less than indie work and anything <laughs> else. Uh, so I, I, you know, tried my best, but look, I was unemployed for two and a half years after I did a show called Matador, which is Robert Rodriguez's, you know, after getting Matador, I was like, "This is it! It's Robert Rodriguez, it's Gabriel Luna, it's Alfred Molina, it's a bunch of you know incredible talented people that I'm learning from, and that are going to now catapult me into working." Right now, I'm going to work, and uh, two and a half years unemployed after that—literally, not even a guest star, not a co-star, uh, not a day player, nothing. Two and a half years nothing off of the show, off of that show. Did you get in, footage from it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in like eight episodes. I was a uh, I was a recurring. Um, I was not a regular, but I was, you know, eight out of thirteen. It was still a great it was a great role and I Where'd you film it at? Uh here in LA. Okay. And uh it was, yeah, two and a half years. So right before booking Animal Kingdom, I was driving Uber. Like I I was literally so I was so broke. I, I did everything and anything. I was helping other friends with whatever jobs they had. I was doing I was selling my clothes on eBay. Um, I don't drink so getting a bartending job was very hard for me just because I'm not familiar with alcohol at all like Mm -hmm. if they were like well we want a screwdriver I'd be like I don't go to Home Depot I don't don't know (laughs) what that means it's vodka and orange juice, just so you know. <laughs> it's been a really long time bartending. I once tried to be a bartender and tried to get a job bartending, and then they asked me a few questions, and I, I totally, totally lied completely on my resume. And I was like, yeah, I bartended at a Mexican restaurant that my boyfriend's parents owned or whatever. Totally made it up. There is no restaurant. Um, and I was like, I bartended in Spain and this. And they're like oh um you know so what kind of drinks did you do or whatever and I was like oh you know like just it was um upscale so I was like mojitos oh and my set. god you should have and said like, no margaritas and I was like <laughs> no you know it was like upscale I had no idea what I was talking about <laughs> I was just trying to bullshit my <laughs> way into a job do you to remember make what so restaurant money. it was Uh, I remember it was the hotel in, it was for a hotel bar. Okay. um, Because I felt like I could capitalize on the languages aspect and it would be an easy in. Great. Great idea. And it did not work (laughs) Um, because I got to that last final interview and they were like, no way. I mean, you can, you can wait tables, but you, you can't bartend. Yeah. Um, And then what else? Oh my gosh. I remember for a while and they're going to kill me if they hear this, but um, there's a, an attorney's office that I was tutoring and I was tutoring a lot, uh, in any way, shape or form, whether it was like kids or school, but then I had an opportunity to tutor in Spanish for a pretty hefty sum. Like it was, I mean, it was like a hundred dollars an hour or something, which at the time to me was the biggest sum of money I could make in an hour. Yeah. And I uh, started tutoring them in Spanish, all good. And then I started, they asked me if I could tutor them in French. And mind you, I speak French. I can communicate in French. I by no means have the skill level, language, like capacity to tutor in French because I do not know how to say 90% of the things that I need to say. And I would make it up. I could not Shut pass up. it up. So I was just like, totally. My French is just as good as my English. And I'm was, dying. This I was like, music. let's do it. And then I started making it up. So when we were, say I didn't know how to say, I don't know, carrot, right? Yeah. And, and um, in French, carrot is carotte. But in, if I didn't know how to say it, I would make it up. I would say the word in Spanish because they're so close. I would just take mm-hmm. a wild guess. And then put the French accent on it. Oh my so gosh. I'd be like, um, yes, it's Le Zanauri. And I would say it with such a straight face. And, you know, it was one of those things where. And then they went on trips, I think, to Paris after that. I quit right before they left. Probably a call. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I was like, oh, they're going to get back and they're just going to be like, so everything you taught us was wrong. Um, I'm dying for what happened on their trips. I wish you knew. I wish I knew. I know. There's like a Oh, there's like a rom-com in there somewhere. This is, this is my, my apology, my public apology to the people that I, I scammed for a few months tutoring them in French as well as in Spanish. The Spanish is legit. The French is a wild card. It may be legit. It might not be um but uh you know I I was trying to survive like I didn't have enough money to pay rent and again the the lowest point was right before I hit in a weird way like before I hit that stride it was right before Animal Kingdom and I was that your next thing after the matador yeah okay and that was two and a half years apart man It was, yeah, it was a very big low and I I had a, a very bad personal breakup and a bad situation. And so I was living, I had $600 to my name and I was on an inflatable mattress in my friend Gia, who's also an actress in her one bedroom apartment. Um, like her cats would wake up sleeping on my head kind of a thing. It was in her living room. I had all my clothes on a rack in her living room. I totally invaded her space. She was so kind to let me stay with her. Um, and you know, I was, again, selling clothes, trying to sell my jewelry, anything I had just to survive. So you had basically what was, what would fit in your car at this point? Yeah. You didn't really have anything. I put my stuff in storage. I had stuff. Um, some of it you see here in my house still today, because I still have it. Which the apartment is beautiful now, by it's... the way. You could fit several actors on these couches. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I, you know, I put it in storage and was hoping for the best, was praying that something would happen, that something would come in. I was hoping for a full-time job. I wasn't even hoping for an acting gig at that point. Okay. Like, so I was... You, so were you looking for full-time work? At that 100%. Um, and I had a friend who loaned me Um, $5,000 that I felt I could um, use to carry me through uh, two or three months Mm -hmm. living on the bare minimum. Um, And that was pilot season. And those three months went away and I hadn't booked. And um, I suddenly had $600 and was like, okay, I either buy a ticket back to go to Spain and go back home, or um, I, I don't know what I'm going to do at this point. And two days later, I had the audition for Animal Kingdom, and that hit. And then that was, that job also was the one that three years ago, or three years before that, I had hoped Matador would be. It was the job that suddenly got me the next job.
0: Yeah. God, that's amazing. Uh yeah. I hate that you have to get to that point to like feel the upward swing, but you really have to feel like what a bottom is before you can feel like what everything else was like. Do you think if you would have gotten a full time job, would you have been able to continue
1: acting? I think so. I mean, look, I I do believe that you know, so long as you have somewhat of of a of a leniency from, from your boss or whatever, and that you can actually take a day to go audition or whatever. Um, I think you probably can. I would recommend, I spent two years again here in LA as well. Um, and this is right before Matador. Um, But I spent two years working as a producer at a production company, thinking that that would open some doors, make some connections. I was still able to audition, Mm -hmm. Um, but I had a full-time job and I had responsibilities that did not really let me do that freely. And I am now of the belief that if you really want to do this, I think time yourself. So I would say maybe get a full-time job for six months, eight months, a year. Um, and don't tell him you want a full-time job for just six months. though. No, no. Or, you know, or maybe have that handed conversation (laughs) Uh now, now that I don't have to scam poor attorneys in French lessons, I'm all about full honesty. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, but you know, uh, I, I would say make as much money as you can save as much money as you can focus on building, say your network. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, let go of that and be myopic and just attack say pilot season or, or episodic season, depending on where you are and what you feel like your forte is. Yeah. Um, but you know, attack that myopically without focusing on anything else, without worrying about your bills for three months. Like I think even though I run out, I ran out of those five grand <laughs> um, during pilot season and didn't book. Those three months were what allowed me to book because I was coaching. I was going to class. I was only focused on acting and booking. That's it. I was going to the gym. I was, um, you know, trying to be good to myself and kind to myself. And I was meditating and doing yoga or whatever. You go box or go do whatever it is that works for you. But I would actually say it's better. I read a book called The Power of Full Engagement. And this book is great. It's an easy read. You'll read it in like two hours. Um, and it's one of those things that talks about how it's not a marathon and we're conditioned to think that our life is a marathon and success comes from that long-term kind of like steady, steady fast, steadfast. fast, steady fast. I don't know what the yeah. word is in English, yeah, but, um, this book says that it's not, that life and success are often, um, a series of sprints instead. Oh, okay. I love this. Yeah go on. <laughs> that changed that changed a lot of things for me because it it, it basically says there's no point and, and you can equate it to anything in your life. Um, but especially as an actor, there are times where you're trying to do a million things at once and even though you carve time, um, to do something, you don't give it your full engagement and your full energy and attention and focus is not there. So the return on investment, the ROI on that time means nothing. I could sit down, say you're, you're writing your own script or something. And, um, I say it's one of those things where you sit down on the computer and you're like, okay, I'm going to write this now. You're not focused. You're not paying attention. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And then sometimes you sit down for 20 minutes and it's, the best thing you've ever written. Yeah. So that's what this book was talking about. It was saying, do things in spurts of sprints with your full engagement. So recovery, um, your body, your spirit, everything has to have as much attention and focus and rest and recovery and everything as everything else. Interesting. I mean, I Ooh, don't I like know that would work, but I know if I spread myself too thin and I'm trying to do everything at once, mm-hmm. nothing gets done.
0: So how do you work with your schedule then? Because you're traveling a lot. How do you give yourself time to, like, work as an actor, to be a human person? You Mm -hmm. do a ton of volunteer work. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you manage your schedule? Because time management, I think, is a huge thing
1: for actors. I stopped trying to have a routine.
0: Fascinating. Go on.
1: I because I was all about it. I I carry journals. I have like I'm I'm the kind of person who sets goals and then tries to measure them and keep track of them. So for me it was a lot of I'm gonna read one hour every night and I'm gonna listen to a podcast or you know, I'm going to watch um an award-winning movie every single night for an hour and this and that and whatever. And I would try to like Isolate these little nuggets of time in my day and follow a routine. Very similar people. Yeah. (laughs) Type A personality. It's assertive. You're trying to like make things work. You're trying to be proactive
0: about things. This is the week that I start
1: this program. Yep. I do it for two weeks. Yep. And I realized that didn't work for me. (laughs) It never worked. And at one point I was like, I'm not, I'm the immersive personality. And so for me, I need to dive deep into something and I get obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So little tiny chunks of time didn't work. So I stopped trying to have a routine and I said to myself, I'm going to be the opposite. If, for example, instead of trying to learn a new skill um, one hour a day, I'm like, no, I'm taking two weeks and this is all I'm doing. I'm learning how to surf, for example. So I will go and I will be at the beach all day, every day for two weeks and then I'll let it go. Once I get to a place that I feel competent enough that I can let it go, I let it go and I move on to the next thing. So for me, it's been like, if I'm on set and I'm working, I'm working. There is no social life. There is no balancing things for me. That takes 100% priority over everything. I will not respond to texts for weeks at a time. And my, my close people, they know that, um, if I'm the opposite, if I'm focusing on relaxing, I'm hard out. Like I'm, you know, blackout dates with my team. I'm gone. I'm on vacation. I'm gone for four days. I'm doing nothing but eating and getting fat and relaxing (laughs) and sleeping 14 hours a day and (laughs) hanging out with my friends and I'm not looking at my phone. Um, so I try to basically what I do for balance is accept the extremes. In that way. If I'm in class, I'm in an intensive. I'm not doing, like, a weekly thing or whatever. If I'm, you know, things like that. And it works for me. Routines do not work for me. That's really good to know. I try to do the same stuff. I'm like, this is
0: same thing. I'm like, this. I'm going to watch a movie every three days that I haven't seen that's a classic. Mm-hmm. And then you nev- your schedule is just, I mean, I have enough jobs that, like, I never know what my day is going to be like. And then I get upset with myself for not following through with... Yeah. Said plan, or like, why didn't you start a once a week acting class yet? Mm-hmm. It's like, I can't. Um, it's hard. Very
1: interesting. Have you have you heard of things like morning pages and mm-hmm. five minute journals and things like that? Mm-hmm. That's really helped me. I have. Did you read I the have... Artist's Way?
0: Of course. Okay. Yes. Everyone's been telling me to read this. Lots you know of what? book recommendations. On Actually, podcasts. I'm lying. I'm lying
1: again. Look at me. I'm lying again. <laughs> um, How do you say the
0: Artist's Way in French?
1: It's, <laughs> <Next> uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I did not read the book. I have the workbook. So she oh, has okay. two things. She has the book, and then she has the workbook. And um, I, the workbook was enough for me. It's the, it's the gist mm-hmm. in the first chapter, and then the rest of it is practical exercises. Um, the book, I was actually told, is not that good. Okay. You just need the gist. I like a workbook application. So I, like I yeah, I read that. But I carry a bullet journal, and I'm going to show you literally because this is something that, I know it sounds so esoteric and you know, I, I can't tell my friends in, in science and academia about this, but um, I do do <laughs> it. I the podcast. Don't worry. I draw. So. Oh, that's really cool. Because of the artist's way and because of things like that, like I draw not once a day, but I draw a lot. Um, and it, it's my way of manifesting or visualizing what I want. And it's incredible because Again, it was like a few weeks before Animal Kingdom, a friend of mine and I started doing this as a manifestation. We're like, you know what? We're not good at sitting and meditating and visualizing our future every day. We're not. But we heard about this thing where if you draw yourself and you draw the life you want and the things you want around you, you're kind of doing the same thing. And you're investing 15 minutes of your day into making those choices in your head. And so you... I mean, correlation, not causation, but you hope that the rest of your day micro decisions align with it. Okay. Right? So if in my drawing, I'm drawing like, I want to, again, I want to be a pro surfer and I want to be, um, you know, super fit and healthy and this and that. It's very likely that I'm not going to end up cooped up in my house, um, not being physical and eating a burger. Uh Uh-huh. Just because I spent those 15 minutes thinking about it. And I started drawing, and it's surprising, but I can show you drawings from when I started doing this, and it was right before booking Animal Kingdom, and I drew things that have happened. I love this idea of drawing instead of necessarily writing. Yeah. It's insane. Because I can't write it. I also feel like then I get stuck in the words. Yeah. And for me, like, I'll just draw, I'll draw a light bulb on top of my head and just be like, inspiration and ideas. It's very, it's very, you know, it's a it's, it's, vague, it's open. I'll draw money do- like dollar signs is what I was drawing at the beginning, dollar <laughs> signs and arrows pointing to me because like I'm so broke, I am just so broke. I just need a job, and so I would draw, you know, I would draw the little things that you know, a script, and I'd be like offers, you know, and this and work and steady work, and I draw calendars, and I'm like perfect timing. You know, everything has perfect timing and it's crazy, but I do attribute a lot of that to, um, my life right now. Like it's been, you know, three, um, four now shows in two and a half years. And one of them, Animal Kingdom was supposed to be a two episode arc. I come back to it every season. They, they are so wonderful and it works out with my schedule. It's always during hiatus, um, or after I wrap another show that I'm in, which wouldn't be compatible because I'm I'm a series regular on or I'm lead on or something that I can't combine with and it works. So God, I'm just so draw. Raw. Guys, if you're listening, just draw. <laughs> I'm literally going to go home and draw. I, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I can't encourage it enough. If you don't like writing down, you know, your manifestations or whatever you want to call it, yeah. you know, your goals, your things. Like drawing has been... Everything for me in that
0: sense. <laughs> I love that. That's such a different idea. Oh my god. Okay, I'm literally going to start doing this. Throwing out my routines and having a little sketch time. Yeah. I like this. So, as you started to enter these bigger rooms, so Animal Kingdom happened. Mm-hmm. What's, can we talk about that audition specifically? Let's do it. Okay, so, so you're down on your luck and yeah. you are, my favorite saying is thirsty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you are super thirsty, Super. and you walk into the room. How do you not bring that desperation into the room with you? Or do you? Or Um, did you, I mean? I
1: I didn't bring it into the room. And again, here I'm going to credit Sarah, Mm -hmm. really, um, because she's the one who managed to somehow convince me that walking in with confidence and my own take on things would pay off in the long run. And I guess that that subdued that thirst or that hunger a little bit where it was like, okay, if it's not this, it'll be the right thing. Um, I had also just started turning down uh, auditions, which I'd never done. I I hadn't been employed in two and a half years and I called my team and I was like, I'm not taking any auditions for things that I don't love. So no procedurals. I'm not going to do anything where the character is something that I don't want to do. How did your team take that? I mean, they, they thought I was insane. Yeah. Um, they respected it because I am very fortunate that my team is um, very pro artistry. Did you have just an agent or a manager at that time, or both? Um, I had both at the time, um, and I was uh, I was very lucky that again the, they are they are for the artist. My agency is a boutique agency. Um, are you still with them? I, I am still with them. That's amazing. And I will hopefully, unless they drop me, I will never leave them. Um, so cool. And, but they're a boutique agency with a very good name, Okay, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So, like, they have very small client lists, but they are also very much about character actors, and they have, um, you know, people that are very selective. So I didn't think for them, it didn't come totally out of the blue. Did you get you know? them after Matador? No, I I mean, yes, after Matador, but during those two and a half years of drought. Cool.
0: So, so you were, even though, so you hadn't worked, but they were respecting your decision to turn down work.
1: Yeah. They're and cool. I was testing for these roles. Oh, so that's like, something though. Like you fed them a little so I had basically. tested for the roles and then I turned them down. I turned down, not those specific ones, obviously those I did book, uh, but I, I, decided going into the new pilot season. So I've been with them for a year and I hadn't booked maybe something like that. And, um, in, that's normally the time when agents reevaluate if they even keep you on board. I was going <laughs> to say, this is a scary time to like stand up for yourself. Yeah. And, um, you know, after the intensive and after some of those conversations and I kind of felt like I had nothing left to lose. So to be honest, there was a little bit of like, fuck it. What's, <laughs> What's my favorite movie? thing in the world. Is. And, <laughs> here's the thing, we don't get into this job to be miserable mm-hmm. because we could probably, all of us could probably be doing something else that makes more money steadily. We're, we're miserable, for sure. So why take a job that would make me creatively miserable? So I started looking at it like that, and then I just, you know, I was like, look, I, I don't want to do procedurals. I want to do something gritty, and I don't care if the roles are... Um, small or big or well paid or not, or never seen, or, you know, indie or whatever, or for free. I, I just, I was like, I'm going to take a stand for my creativity and for my artistry. And I'm going to respect that. And, um, they still, I mean, they still sent me the appointments and it was very hard to say no, but I did. And then animal kingdom came along and it was for a different role. Um, it was, uh, For uh, the role of Lucy. Okay. And she was definitely much more ethnic, I think, than I came across. But I walked in the room and I knew that I had won the room over. Like, I walked out thinking I had booked Lucy. And as a matter of (laughs) fact, I called my team. And I don't often do this. um, Because I will call them and I'll be like, oh my God, I blew that. That was awful. I sucked. I sucked. But I called them, and I was like, I think I just got this role. Sick. And then I didn't get it. What
0: <laughs> What did that feel like? Like, what was it? Do you feel like you just nailed exactly what you wanted to do? Did you feel like you had the, their eyes on you? I
1: felt like it was – I I felt like I had never been in that room before. Where, where was the audition at? And it was at the Warner Brothers lot, um, and it was um, – John Levy, and um, it was their, their kind of casting office, and I was so new to it, and obviously they have an incredible reputation for the shows that they cast, and the level of actors that they put on their shows, so I was very nervous, um, and I walked in, and I didn't get Lucy, and I thought I did, because they were just like, oh my God, that's phenomenal, you're amazing, and the feedback in the room was just so good. I felt like they were, they were giving me the green light in mm-hmm. a weird way. Um, and I walked out and I called my team and I was like, I nailed it. I bought, I just got that role. Um, and that's kind of cool though. Cause then they followed up with that enthusiasm probably. Well, they called, they called me in for a different role the next day. So they were like, yeah. we don't want you for this role, but you're going to come in for the callback for, um, a different role. And I was like, okay. And then they sent me the breakdown and it was like the total... Polar opposite, not ethnic at all, blonde, blue-eyed, Cali girl, looks like you, you know, in the (laughs) breakdown. And it was the next day. A surfer chick. Yeah. Well, they were casting all of them at the same time. So I walked in and the three girls auditioning for Lucy were there, too. And uh, I went in for this Wren, you know. I was like, okay. But she was such a badass. And she was supposed to OD and die after two episodes. Um, so I knew it was a small part, but she was a drug addict and a drug dealer. And she had, I fell in love with her way more than I did with Lucy. Um, and I walked in and I was very nervous cause John Wells was in the room and Jonathan Lisko was in the room and it was like a very intimidating room. And I got pissed right before walking in for something that I don't quite remember, um, what it was, but I was very angry and I, I remember at one point I was supposed to hand the character who is John Levy, the casting director reading the other part. Um, my, my boyfriend, it was like a sex scene. And then he like pulls, asks me for some pills or whatever. And I ended up going into my purse and grabbing something. And I think it was like a thing of Advil and throwing it at him. Cause I was just so pissed. And for some reason it worked. Um, Oh my God. That's one of those things that like, they
0: remember, they'll never forget that. You, like, sealed the deal in the role, probably, and it just was because how you came in the room.
1: Yeah. I. You know what? I felt like it was because I took that ownership, which is what, you know, Sarah and, and other actors I've heard always say, is you have to come in with who you want this character to be, with that essence inside you. And you can... It doesn't have to be your essence. It could be the character's essence that you've done the work on. But you have to leave that room feeling like you did what you wanted. And since then I always have. And since then my, my booking rate has gone up. Obviously my, you know, I, I, it's been one of those things where I can afford to be a lot more selective.
0: Yeah. You have some stuff under your belt now
1: because now I feel like, Oh, if I walk in a room and I do this thing that has been working for me, there's a chance I might actually book it.
0: Yeah. Technical question? Yeah. You threw the pills, and then your scene
1: ended. Did you get? Did you go grab them? Did you say like, eh, like what'd you do? Um, I threw the pills at him. I was just supposed to hand them to him. I threw the pills at him, and then he just looked at me, and I ad libbed like, "So what the fuck are you still doing here? Get the fuck out," um, or something along those lines. Uh-huh. Uh, but I ad libbed a, a button at the end, which I tend to do. I do. I always end with my own lines. Yeah. So I I, I did that. Um, and then, you know, again, they laughed, they liked it, we tried it again with a bunch of different things, and, uh, not a bunch, we just, I just did want it one. want to know time. if you, like, picked up the pills angrily, or if you just picked them up and you were over it. Yeah, I was kind of over it. I was, I was just, you know, I was like, you guys saw me, look, I, I still put a smile on my face, because I'm trying to get this job, uh-huh. but, um, I was kind of like, you know, let's just, let's go. Let's do, what do you want? You want to do it again? Okay. It, it was... Um not not that I was above the role in any way, but that I was deserving of it. And that's
0: how I felt or tried to feel in that room. The fact that you can manifest that or create that, however you want to say it, in your own body, when you were when your life was living on a couch, is the epitome to me of someone who can survive in this business mm-hmm. because I feel like if you can be like, I don't need it, I just do my job, you are welcome for me coming in that room. I feel like that is, that's incredible. That's a
1: very special skill. I, I will also say that that skill comes from that background work that we do, right? So the character work. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it was the next day, I spent maybe four or five hours at uh, Sarah's house um, running lines. for the the audition, Um, learning how to cut Coke, even though it wasn't in the audition, learning how to uh, do lines of Coke with a credit card and vitamin B powder. Um, I learned how to roll a joint. I was... Had you ever smoked a joint before? um, No. (laughs) I just asked because I think I remember Sarah
0: telling that story.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I I was trying to... um, watch surf videos and live inside her and I I found a song. For me music is is one of the things I do immediately first when I get a character. Oh cool. Um, I give them a song or I find a playlist normally that um I feel is gets me in that zone really quickly. So Ren's was languid and sexy and gritty and kind of rock and rollish and um It gave me a rhythm. So it gives me a walking pace, too, and physicality immediately. It's like I dance like them. You know, I dance like my character, whether it's awful or not. I Mm -hmm. dance like them, and I feel like all of a sudden I'm in their skin. Um, I give them a horoscope just because, for me, that's very simple guidelines into building a pretty – layered character whether you believe in horoscopes or not it's like if you give them an identity that is already pre-established in a certain way you're giving them a new layer
0: That just makes it, uh, it takes a little pressure off you too to create when it's like in the horoscope
1: right so you just kind of you I don't have to do the guesswork as much how if, much of that for um, you depends on break the breakdown nothing. or do you kind of toss it out I toss the breakdown out the window immediately Um, that's never served me, it's always gotten me in my head, and it's always made me make choices that were not coming from inside, that were not genuine, that were not rooted in me. And I think until... What is it? Until you're name your type? Oh, I haven't heard that before, but I like it. Um, So you have to come in with a lot of you, unless you're an incredibly gifted character actor that... Thrives on becoming something completely polar opposite than you, right? Unless that's your skill, you're probably one of those improv, you know, magicians <laughs> and, and incredible character actors. Um, I think your essence carries through, and if you go against that, it might not serve you. So I will change lines uh, if they don't serve me as Christina, um, and I I skew just like I'm I'm Christina adjacent. Uh with my characters um and I always find things within me that I relate to them and that comes to the forefront and if the breakdown goes against it I'll get in my head I just get nervous and then I'm trying to like oh it says she's very angry and aggressive so let me make sure I show anger and aggression here in some place even though the scene might not call for it and it's like show all the levels Mm, no. no no you are the levels There's, um, I want to say it was Stella Adler who has some quote and I'm totally going to butcher it. So don't quote me on the quote, (laughs) I promise. but, um, it's something along the lines of become a better person. You become a better actor and become a better actor. You suddenly become a better person. And for me, I've, I've always tried to have my life feed my art. So to me, I, if, and, and Sarah does this a lot, she's like, live like the character until the moment you walk in the room. So, um, you know, for grace on blood drive, she's always in her car. I was driving a lot. I was running lines in the car with somebody else. I was, you know, even if it was just around the block, um, I was walking in cowboy boots just because she had a different walk than me. Um, that, Sarah actually gave me. A um, she always loan out shoes. She loans out so many shoes, and so much clothes. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I was cursing a lot, like a trucker. I was trying to be a lot more of a, I don't know, tomboy, but temptress in a weird mm-hmm. way. So, um, I, I will try to do that for my characters, even if they're small, even if the, again, I mean, Animal Kingdom was supposed to be two episodes, which is why I maybe walked in the room being a little bit more confident that, like, look, I I, I just read what is the role. I I see it. I know it. It's not like this pressure of like, oh, they're gonna want me to be this like incredible. You know, how Meryl did it?
0: Street. How did it transition? Did was it after you filmed your first episode and then it's like, how did they
1: transition it to a reoccurring? Um, to be completely honest, obviously, I don't know what the conversations were mm-hmm. in. I don't know if they saw dailies and then they decided to do it. I do know that I was very fortunate that I shot with um, John Wells and he was directing that episode and Jonathan Lisko was there. And I know that they liked what I brought to Ren. And in particular, my job was what I was bringing out of my uh, partner at the time. So Ben Robson who plays Craig Cody, um, they, we have good chemistry and I think they saw that as something that they wanted to expand on. It wasn't necessarily about my role, Obviously, it's not my story. Yeah. It's about his role. But I poked at a side of him that no other role had yet. And they wanted to see that. They kept wanting to see that chemistry. So, and now we're, they just got picked up for season four. Amazing. And, you Congrats. Know, I, well, I mean, it's not my show. No, I now, know. But you're,
0: every piece yes. of a
1: puzzle, piece of a puzzle. Yes. Um, and that's, that's a room that because I was in such a bad place and I was so thirsty and broke, they will have me for as long as they will take me no matter what other jobs I'm doing, no matter what my role entails. You know, if I don't care if they're like, Oh, we just want you in one episode. We want you to come in and be butt naked doing a line of Coke and just be in the background. (laughs) Like I I will do it because they, that family has been so amazing to me and, and at that time in my life that they don't know they saved my life in a weird way.
0: Were you naked in that show? (laughs) A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's unpack that for a second. Uh, (laughs) I want to talk about body image in general for just a sec because it's a lot of pressure and I feel the pressure now, even in the lower echelon, to be a certain size and I know that it is changing and everyone's like, it's different now. I still think there's a certain um, requirement, an unspoken requirement for a certain type um, and... I, I am curious how that pressure, if you felt pressure at all, if you've had to deal with that, especially being naked on camera, there's a lot to unpack with like body image in Hollywood. Oh gosh. Yeah.
1: It's, I mean, of course we all have felt that pressure. Um, I have done everything across the board from, you know, killed myself in the gym. I've, I've battled with eating disorders in my youth, um, even before Hollywood I think just as expectations, uh, rise and, and come to the forefront of whatever you're dealing with. Um, it's also the thing that people feel like they can control the most, right? So you feel like at the very least as an actor, you can control your image. So let me just work on that. And then you get obsessed with it and then you get myopic about uh, what you look like thinking that that's what's going to be determining in your career every time I haven't booked in a while I'm like what you know I should probably lose some weight or like cut my hair or like every time I totally get it and I will say that at least my experience has been um completely the opposite when it comes to actual booking and stuff I have been my thinnest maybe and my um aesthetically maybe what is considered standard my prettiest and my cutest and my most whatever and been completely unemployed and not booking and not getting in rooms and then I have been my worst I have been not good to myself not sleeping not taking care of my skin and my diet and my exercise and then gotten you know the best feedback or testing or booking whatever for roles um I have to say, I think some of that internal turmoil, um, has hindered me for sure and actually prevented me from getting roles. Um, I, I think it's hard for somebody, especially certain females. And I'm going to say this and I think, God, because I don't know the specific words. And again, I'm going to blame this on the language barrier. Sometimes I, I will say things that are, not exactly precise in the wording but please take everything I say word wise with a grain of salt but if you are a female and you are considered beautiful cute uh, attractive and all of a sudden you're going out for the attractive roles and the pretty girl roles and the lead roles and the ones that say she's beautiful because every. Fuck, can I curse? Sorry. Yep. Oh, yeah. Ask Every fuck fucking delivery. breakdown, whether you're supposed to be a doctor, a nurse, oh. a military person, or whatever, is like, if she's the lead, she's just gorgeous. and if she, Or beautiful, or I whatever. And it it's beautiful, but doesn't know it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Suck a dick.
1: Yes.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: Or tough, but vulnerable. Those, uh, those kill me.
0: Is this why you throw out the breakdown? Yes.
1: <laughs> and all of that, all of a sudden, you think that you're competing on that level. Suddenly, you that is so accurate. Walk into the room and now you think that wait, now i have to be i have to out pretty or out best this person with my image too, because Absolutely. they're looking for someone beautiful and now I have to be more uh, again more toned, more fit, more tan, taller, skinnier, whatever it is um and I think it gets in our head so much, and I would bring it back to the art. And I would bring it back to saying, not the art in like this ambiguous kind of like, oh my God, you know, it's all about like your talent. No, 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 no. I still think your body and your image and your health affect your art. But what I'm saying is, how do they affect it in a more holistic probably way? Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you are nourishing your body kind of you're going to function better just because you're going to be more inspired. You're going to have less of that stress and stress is the enemy of art. Um, and I think if you are not competing, you are able to bring whatever is more unique to you, forget the breakdown, but you are able to walk into that room and win it. Right. So I, I think that that has been the lesson that is one of the hardest for women. But, um, Especially because if you're, say you think you're cute, but 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds shy of what people consider attractive. Or you are pretty, but oh, your skin is not as, you know, pristine and even and beautiful as what you think you should have. Or you have that one thing, right? I don't know if it's your nose, your boobs, your height, your whatever it is. And you start obsessing over that thing because you think you're just shy of what they're looking for. And I think the beauty of what's happening now with, and it goes for men too, but I will say that with how much we verbalize it as women and what is happening with the female empowerment and with women coming into power in Hollywood and making those decisions now and diversity and all that, the beauty of that is that if you look like say, a Playboy model or whatever was considered beautiful 10 years ago, like the very typical, like, uh, not typical, but perfect. Yeah, the very perfect person. The Barbie measurements. Exactly. Is no longer what is actually booking. And if you look at it, it, you can track it. And it's becoming exponential. And it goes both ways. You know, you can look at something like The Shape of Water, and you can look at that lead, and that is going one way, and then you can look at you know, um, other, other shows, like I'm, I'm going to drop Dead diva or whatever. Like there are so many shows, um, and so many movies that are now breaking free from that and lead characters are no longer the interesting ones that are the leads. Yeah. You know, so, so I think aesthetically the things that I've dealt with, um, have subsided the more I work, you know, because I, I think that the more I can focus on bringing these characters to life and living in them, the more I realize that they are not an image and we're also not models. Some of us, you know, I'm sure I, I don't model, but I, I know a lot of actors who model on the side. It's very good money and it's something that is, you know, kind of like around the industry. Um, but we're not in a picture it's not a picture. We move, we breathe, we, and if you watch the most interesting performances and the ones that you like, whether, no matter how the person looks, you're watching them move and you're listening to the cadence and you're hearing their voice and you're seeing them talk and, you know, interact and look at the other person and whatever. So all the things that you think you get in your head about, no one else is seeing.
0: I feel like you're just talking to me right now. I'm I just am eating. talking to you. I'm looking <laughs> in your eyes. I'm talking
1: to you. Right I feel now. like I needed
0: this very badly. This is. Uh, well, okay. So I one more question off of that. Um, do you feel that shift in Hollywood since the whole all all times up me too? Have you felt that at all in your work? Have you felt that female empowerment shift? Do you feel like you've seen more uh, female empowerment type of roles? More women directors? What has been your experience since that? I mean, I hate to say it started
1: with Harvey Weinstein, but since yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this this shift, where are no. Kind of making, I think I think right now what I feel, um, at least in the positions that I've been in, has been a little bit of fear, which is not necessarily the shift and the change that everyone is hoping for. Yeah, um, because I think look, it it say for example on Animal Kingdom on Blood Drive or whatever. I'm I'm playing these roles that. Say I'm naked on set or I'm dealing with a lot of a very male dominated environment and I'm in a position where I'm an actress and I'm hungry and I'm, I'm trying to make things the best that I can or whatever. The people that were and are respectful of women are there and continue to be there. Um, you know, John Wells, he does shameless. They've done that production company works in a way that I've never been more respected and treated kindly on set, despite the fact that I'm the least clothed and less objectified. Um, same thing with blood drive, same thing, you know, and then you have other environments where I've, you know, um, been with having conversations with friends that have gone into a room and have feel objectified. Those people, I just think we're less tolerant of them now so yeah. we're doing like a purge which is great um but at the same time people are now kind of scared and i feel like nobody's on solid ground so if i'm doing a press shoot or i'm doing a publicity thing sometimes it's always it's now i see things like oh let's make sure we get the female as much protagonism even if the story's not about her right let's make sure. and it's like okay guy come calm down like you know, you, we want to tell the female stories. We want to tell the male stories. We want to tell them both. It's just about not um, diminishing one for the other, yes. for the sake of it. Yeah, I feel like that we all everything like
0: tilts like one way or the other massively, right. and I feel like it's so hard for us to find this middle ground. And this is across the board on on all areas, like finding the the. What, what am I thinking of right now? Like equal pay and stuff like that. It's like. How, how much do we have to fight for something that like should just be so chill
1: and it'll happen. I think right now the problem is when we are fighting for equal pay and I fought for it, I've asked for favored nations in every one of my contracts, um, and I've never gotten it really (laughs) never. Um, and the reason I look, but I still think it's worth putting up the fight, even if it's a losing battle that I already know is a losing battle. And the reason I'm okay, I'm, I'm, completely at peace with it is the fact that I've also been paired up with men who I've been so lucky in my co-stars and in the men that I've worked with and my counterparts and my, the male leads that I've been playing opposite is because they have a volume of experience and work below their, below their belt. Is that how it works? Uh, Under their belt. belt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Below (laughs) sounds a little dirty, Um, but you know, they have a body of work that merits say the quote that they, you know, have had or whatever it will we just have to keep fighting that until it becomes standard so now we're going to move into the newer generations should start getting equal pay it should be the norm um I think for maybe people in our age range we're still unfortunately we may be paired up with people that deserve a higher pay and I'm kind of okay with that because yeah to a certain extent I think um if you are deserving of it and you have a, well, I'm not talking about the Mark Wahlberg no, you know, scenario I like where those I, things happen. I'm, but I totally agree
0: with you. I feel like it should be more merit-based and less, I mean, I hate the word, the
1: gender-based. word gender-based,
0: but I do feel like it's earned. Yeah. It should be equally
1: earned. Yes. But it's earned. Exactly. Yeah, we're on the same page, and I think I think right now Hollywood is just a little afraid. They're afraid of making the wrong moves. Yes, so they're swinging on that side of the pendulum, like you said, and I think that they are a little bit hesitant. And I think it, I think it may even be backfiring sometimes. I'm a big feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm a big proponent of um, you know obviously equal rights and equal pay, and especially in Hollywood like representation and things like that. Um, I am very lucky to be surrounded by great women in the industry that are very big proponents of the movement. I think the way collectively we have gone about it could be um, somewhat detrimental sometimes when when the extremes are representing the entirety of the movement. Because not. I think the majority of the middle of that movement is not that extreme uh, point of view. Mm -hmm. And the extreme point of view is making people scared i i know people who men who are feminists who are also now scared to hire a female assistant just because of the climate of things and given equal competency between a man and a woman they may hire a man which is exactly the opposite of what we are trying to fight for
0: yeah it feels like the cyber bullying of it the reverse effect is almost a little too overwhelming to allow for like satiation of everything to
1: even out 100% and you think about those and and you think about getting look get the assholes out I'm a big fan of that do it kick them out less tolerance less bullshit behavior on set or off it like let's make this industry and this group and this collective of of industry professionals let's make it the the representative of what we want of this inspiring artistic wonderful movement Um, but at the same time don't do it by bashing collectively say a gender. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter which one we're doing the exact opposite. We're talking about, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, um, so don't, because it's also not just gender specific, Mm -mm. you know, you, and, and for me, I think that the better way to cause social change across the board. And I, I feel like this with science. I feel like this with anything is inspiration. It's not, Fear, fear based, you know, I don't know. I think it's one of those things that, and I know I differ from opinion from a lot of people, but, um, I think getting people afraid is not the solution. I think getting them inspired to move to action, to mobilize on a local level, on a small level, on a, on a set level, whatever it is, um, is what will ultimately catapult us into that stage that we really want to be in, which is the end goal.
0: Yeah. Control, working with what you have and controlling with what you can. Yeah. Not hating on <laughs> the entire male race or whatever it is we're doing. Yeah. Okay. One one final question. One more. <clears throat> Just because I'm so excited to ask you this. For actors who are coming to town right now. Yeah. New to LA, or they've been here for a couple of years. We're getting. They're getting their feet wet. What do you wish you knew before? Mm-hmm. You really dove into this world. And it doesn't have to be a one, big, grand idea. Yeah,
1: yeah. One, one thing I wish I knew is invest in a good car. Um, <laughs> no, I know it sounds silly and callous. No, that's the details I want. I, I would say invest in a good car, but then save on your rent. I came here thinking I had to be in the thick of it. I had to be in Hollywood mm-hmm. um, or West Hollywood or whatever. I had to be in an area where things were all ra- happening around me. Um, I wish I had been told, look, live out in the fucking valley where you get, for half the price, you can rent a room, you can rent a place, you can rent an apartment. No one fucking cares about your apartment. Live with your roommates. No one ever has to see your house. It doesn't. Any who cares? Yeah. You know, like, hustle. Try to save up as much as you can to, like stretch your finances as much as you can um and invest in a good car because you will be regardless of where you are even when I was in Hollywood I was driving to Santa Monica I was driving to the Valley I was driving so you will be spending the majority of your time in your car um driving anyway so invest in that I would say um you will hate LA most likely for the first two years it's like bargain shopping like you have to sift through a lot of shit before you find the treasures Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's like really so that's how I feel about finding friends in LA. That's exactly how it is. It's so hard. And there's like this weird competitive thing that I think is now subsiding a little bit too with what the climate, but yep. um it's it's this thing where people are happy for you until you are happier than them or something like that. that. I was going <laughs> to say
0: I think people are happy for you until it really until you really hit a stride and then you're really happy mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, good job." Yeah, the support level Changes. I like what you said about having a support system that really is there. Yeah, the ups and downs because yeah. sometimes people think they leave you on the downs, but people will leave you on the ups,
1: or they try to ride the ups with you, mm. and they try to. Oh, it's gross. And then when you're and when you're down, because even when you're on the up, you have downs. Like, let's not get carried away here, thinking that just because you're working full time, there are no downs and insecurities. I still deal with as many headaches and confusion and and stress and nerves on different things and on different you know um, levels and on on different maybe like sides of of things but still as I was when I was trying to figure out how to book yeah now there's like how to do this right or how to do that right or how to navigate a situation on set or how to bring depth to a role when it's written in a way that I maybe don't agree with or whatever yeah like so those don't subside and and I would, you know, I would encourage people to try and find their core group um, and take time to do so and not stress too much about, like, I would also say networking is great, but nothing that I have gotten work-wise has been due to networking. I have a wonderful network and I, I do a lot of passion projects with them that I love. But at the end of the day, every single job I've gotten has been because I've walked in a room that nobody knew me in, I have no connections to, and I did the best that I could and I you know, so networking is great, but I I think networking has to be a specific thing that you do for different reasons because also nobody likes to be used as a connection. Yeah. So network because you want to create common things together and you have similar visions but don't network because you think the producer or the friend or the casting director that you know is going to get you in the room or help you book or whatever. Yeah. It's a a very common theme
0: on this podcast, like the different definitions of networking and what seems like the gross going to a party, handing out business cards versus making friends and you develop.
1: Yeah. That is your network.
0: And No matter where you live,
1: you have a quote-unquote network. It's the people you hang out with every day. Of course. Also, one the one thing I would lastly encourage people to do is because i had to learn this um the hard way was when you ask for favors which you will inevitably in this town um when you ask for favors one make it incredibly easy on the other person so if you're asking somebody to um you know send your stuff to their agent or whatever send a blind carbon copy to, you know, several friends and say, Hey guys, I'm looking for new representation. Here's my material. Here's my real, these are the kind of projects I want to be doing and the kind of roles I'm, you know, good at. This is my resume. If you so, you know, if you see it fit, please forward this to any representation, whether it's your own or somebody that, you know, um, please forward it. Nope. You know, no pressure. Everyone is blind carbon copied. There's, if you don't reply, it's fine. Kind of a thing. But um, I'm really looking to have some new meetings and do it like that. Like putting someone on the spot and being like, can you introduce me to your agent? Can you this? I had to learn the hard way that that's one of those things that does not rub people the right way.
0: Yeah. You Even know? if they
1: like you. You just Even never know what like their you.
0: relationship is with their agent or, or like what's they, going they don't on. know your
1: work too. Yeah. Like, I, I I don't, you know, I would ask this of people that did not know who I was as an actor, as a talent, if I would show up on to time, like on time to set, if I would, if I was talented or not or whatever. And it's like, that's the one thing that I would say is, is cause it'll get you further and you will see more results if you make it easy and take off the pressure mm-hmm. and are always willing to do a favor back. I think that's true across the board.
0: Yeah. <sighs> Okay, we've gone over an hour. So, <laughs> I thank you. stop. Cut out anything that you feel is redundant, please. Um, no, nothing is redundant. Everything is perfect. Thank you so much for this. If people want to, oh, oh, I'm, I want to push your um, social media, what you volunteer, what else you're working on. You just got cast a new pilot, which we didn't even talk about. <laughs> oh, we're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to have you back on because this is. I could talk to you forever. Uh, what's the new show? What's happening? Everything what's
1: I on? say is regurgitated from other people that have given me this advice. <laughs> Just so you know,
0: I take no ownership of my own are.
1: advice. Um, I am main, mainly active, I guess, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at Ochoa Christina. I would encourage you to visit Oceana and Earth's Oceans, which are the organizations that I work with the heaviest when it comes to um, philanthropy and the things that I, my causes and things that I believe in. And the new pilot is called A Million Little Things and it's coming this fall to ABC and it has such an incredible group of people and a wonderful cast and people that you will fall in love with and recognize immediately and love and their characters are great. So, you know, take Mm -hmm. a look.
0: Yay. Oh, okay. All right, guys. I will talk to you in just a bit. Thank you so much. And that rounds us out for today's episode. Thank you so much, Christina, for your insight. You are a badass, and I respect your career, and I just love watching this happen for you. I'm so excited. Um, if you guys want to follow Christina, she left her socials in the end of the episode. Also, everything she mentioned from the books to... All of her platforms are linked in the show notes as well as a full page at onebrokeactress.com. I am also available at onebrokeactress.com and at at Sam Valentine on Instagram. That's all I have for you guys today, so I will see you next week.